Matthew 7, verses 1 to 12. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and then turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Clearly I'm the problem. All right, we're not going to mess with this one today. There you go. Turn that off. Let's lose that. And we'll use this one. That's what happens. I go away for a week and you all break everything. Well, friends, today we get to one of our favorite tisk tisk verses. You know, anytime someone calls out a behavior or an attitude and they say that it's sinful, immediately they're chided using this verse. Tisk, tisk. Matthew 7, 1, Jesus says, don't judge. I mean, this, this verse is regularly pulled out of context and used to silence anyone or any idea that we don't like or simply don't want to hear. Tisk, tisk. Don't judge. Friends, is that a correct usage of this verse? You know, for those of you who are visiting us today or have just found us online, uh, we're returning today to our study through the Gospel of Matthew. Last week, our friend Steve Burkett brought us a wonderful exhortation from Psalm 33 while I was in Brunswick in the rain and 44-degree blustery weather with a few hundred third through fifth grade girls at the Girls on the Run end of the season 5K. It was cold, and it was wet, and I wished I was here, warm and dry, with all of you. But today, I am glad to be here warm and dry and back with you in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, as we've seen, the Sermon on the Mount is an extended passage of teaching that we have. In fact, it's the first of five extended passages of teaching that we're going to encounter as we continue to make our way through Matthew's Gospel. And today we're jumping right back into where we left off the last time I was here. And we want to begin by rightly understanding these words in chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, when Jesus says here, 
do not judge, let's begin by thinking about what he could not have meant by these words. Now, logically, logically, Jesus could not have meant that we can never call something right or wrong or label something good or evil because we see that Jesus actually went and did this throughout his ministry. In fact, isn't Jesus making a judgment in verse 6? In verse 6, he says, don't give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Isn't that a judgment of character? And then when we get later on, in two weeks, to verses 13 through 27, we're going to hear Jesus teach about judging the right way and the wrong way, and then judging false and true prophets. So the fact is, Jesus can't mean that we can't discern at all. In fact, every day, you and I, we have to judge because things are different. And we need to discern things. We look at things and go, are these things valuable or not valuable? Is this worth spending my hard-earned money on? We judge right or wrong. Is this the right turn or the correct turn? You know, we judge healthy or unhealthy. Is this good to eat or not? We judge safe or harmful. Is this person or this situation safe or is it unsafe? Friends, if we couldn't judge at all, then practically we would be paralyzed. We couldn't do anything in life. So, in fact, in fact, judging, friends, judging and discerning is so important that we actually pay specialists that have specialized skills and knowledge to judge things for us. I want a mechanic who can judge whether my brakes are safe or not. We want a builder who can judge whether the support is going to hold the weight it needs to or not. We want a doctor who can judge whether the tumor is malignant or not. In fact, if you go to your doctor and you go, hey, doc, is the tumor malignant? And the doctor goes, well, I don't want to be judgmental. Then you're going to judge that it's time to find a new doctor. You know, we praise people who judge well. I mean, you've heard the phrase, he has a discerning or a discriminating palate. You know, somebody who knows the difference and can judge between wines or meals. And they know the difference and why it's important. Or, or discerning, discriminating shoppers who, who can discern between uh, the quality of merchandise and the reputation of a manufacturer. Or somebody with discriminating or discerning taste in music who can hear those subtle differences in a performance and they can discern what's innovation and what's merely imitation. Friends, we praise those who can judge. We praise those who can discern. And in fact, we look down on those people who can't discern. We have a word for them. Gullible. Gullible. They'll, they'll eat, they'll swallow anything put in front of them indiscriminately. And we've learned the hard way in our culture that you can't be indiscriminate. You have to judge because there are plenty of con artists and fake news outlets out there who are trying to trick you. Phone calls from nameless companies promise to lower your credit card rates. You know, calls that claim to be from the Social Security Administration. Emails from persons claiming to be a prince in Nigeria wanting to transfer a large sum of money into your bank account. If only you'll give them your bank account number. Fake news promising you salacious details that are actually just clickbait. Friends, I purposefully am overstating my point here. 
to illustrate, to make the point that it's obvious we must judge. We all judge. We judge good and evil, real and fake, better and best, just to make it through this world. So clearly, Jesus' words here can't mean that you can't judge, you can't discern, you can't discriminate. So then you might say, well, Adam, then maybe what Jesus is calling us here to is he's saying that we can't judge morally. Maybe Jesus is saying that it's all just left up to us, to the individual, to decide what is right and wrong, and we have no right to judge another person's moral decisions. Well, friends, if that's true, if that's really what Jesus is saying here, then you cannot judge the action of the Nazis slaughtering six million Jews. You can't call that evil. Don't judge. If that's the case, you can't judge the deeds of the scam artist who preys on the elderly, stealing their retirement. You can't judge the behaviors of the rapist or the child molester. Tisk, tisk, don't judge. Let's be honest. Every one of us is actually very comfortable morally judging some things like those things as wrong. Is racism wrong? Is child trafficking wrong? Is debt slavery wrong? As humans, we have no problem morally judging these things, right and wrong, good and bad, because it's necessary. It's necessary for us to make any kind of an ethical decision in life. So clearly, Jesus can't be saying that we can't judge things practically, and he can't be saying that we can't judge things morally. So how then do we understand Jesus' statement in these words? As we say time and time and time again, context is king. Context is king. Consider the larger context of these words. Jesus gives us an illustration, in fact, after this teaching in 3 through 5. He affirms that there are problems, that there are sins in our lives that need to be judged and removed. Jesus affirms, hey, there may be a speck in your brother's eye. There may be a speck, and that's not just a matter of opinion. He doesn't say the speck in the eye is not harmful. He doesn't say that specks should be ignored. But with the illustration, Jesus is implying, he says there are things. There are things that need to be identified, that need to be judged, that need to be discerned, and need to be removed. And in fact, the illustration says this is something you should be doing for one another. I mean, look at the command of verse 5. He says, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus does say you are supposed to judge. You are supposed to call out. You are supposed to help take specks or sins out of your brother's eye. So the, the issue that Jesus is addressing in these words is not what we are supposed to do. The issue that Jesus is addressing is how we are supposed to do it. It's not what we are supposed to do, but how we do it. Because Jesus begins verse 5 saying, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to help take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, again, looking at the larger context, you remember that as we've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has specifically been addressing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. In chapter 5, we heard Jesus six times say, you have heard it said, and then give an answer, give a rebuttal to what they'd heard said. What had they heard said? 
they heard the hypocritical teachings of the Pharisees and the scribes. And then in chapter 6, we heard Jesus' critique of the hypocritical prayer, charity, and fasting of the Pharisees. So he's been calling out hypocrisy. And here, Jesus is now calling out the hypocritical way that the Pharisees and the scribes are standing in judgment over others. Jesus' call is not to avoid judging right from wrong, good from evil. His call here is not what we do, it's how we do it. He's calling us from hypocrisy to humility. He's calling us from hypocrisy to humility. The issue that Jesus is teaching us here is is not about the issue of judging itself. We must judge. The issue is not calling sin, sin. The issue is not identifying and helping remove a speck from your brother's eye. These are all good things. What he's addressing is how we do these things. Do we do it from a position of hypocrisy? Or a position of humility. Now, and Jesus isn't just talking about like the accidental hypocrisy. He's not talking about the hypocrisy of those who try and fall short. Because every one of us does that. We all try and fall short. Jesus is addressing those who choose not to try. Those who remain willfully ignorant, turning a blind eye to their own faults, while hypocritically sitting in judgment over the faults of others. This is why in verse 2, Jesus warns and he says, With the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You know, sometimes, especially in the Gospels, we can learn a little bit more about what's being said by seeing other reported incidents of the same teaching in other Gospels. In fact, we find that Jesus talked about this same thing in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38 where he said, judge not and you'll not be judged. Condemn not and you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. With the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So Jesus is warning us against double standards. He's warning us against the double standards that we tend to live with. We hold others to a standard which we sometimes willfully refuse to hold ourselves to. Don't be more concerned with the speck in your brother's eye while ignoring the plank in your own eye. Church, every last speck of sin must be discerned and dealt with. It must be. But Jesus is not calling that into question. He's saying, how are you going to do that? Are you more acutely aware of and bothered by other people's sins or by your own sin? You know, I decided as a good pastor and father that I would illustrate this to my son Joshua on Friday. We were driving through Rockland and we watched the pickup truck in front of us brazenly blow through a solid red light. And I exclaimed, can you believe that he did that? Unbelievable. And it wasn't quite an hour later when I made my way through an intersection and the light was yellowish-ish. 
yeah, just as guilty. I was just, in fact, I was more concerned with his sin than I was with my own. Now, friends, that didn't make his sin right. That didn't make it okay that he just blew through the red light. My sin didn't justify his sin, meaning his sin should be ignored or not judged as wrong. I mean, the fact is you don't have to be perfect to judge actions as right or wrong, because if so, none of us could, because none of us is perfect. We don't need to be perfect, but what Jesus does call us to is to be humble. We don't need to be perfect, because none are, but he does call us to be humble. And this is so important for us to understand, church. It's so important because we regularly hear the attempt uh, to silence judging certain sins because they go, but you have sins in your own life. How can you judge the sins of others? You have sins in your own life. You shouldn't judge that particular sexual sin because you have this kind of sexual sin in your life. Or why are you calling this out and not these other sins? Friends, just as with running the red light, My sin does not make his sin justified. His sin remains sinful despite my sin. And moreover, sometimes the church is criticized because we're not perfect advocates against sin. In a world where particular sins, especially particular sexual sins, are being celebrated nowadays as a reason for pride, is it a wonder why those are the sins on which we now must speak out But that doesn't diminish the sinfulness of the other sins with which we need to deal and address and struggle. Friends, we don't criticize the American Breast Cancer Association for not taking cancer seriously because they're not talking about colon cancer as much. Church, we're not perfect in our behavior or in our advocacy, but we don't need to be perfect because none are. But what we do need to be is humble. We don't need to be perfect because none are, but we do need to be humble. Do we approach the other in hypocrisy or in humility? As we speak the truth, as we judge rightly, as we call sin, sin, and identify those specks and those planks. I love how Pastor John Stott explained it. He said, the command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind but rather a plea to be generous. It's not a call to be blind, but a plea to be generous. Be generous because Christ has been generous to you. Judge good from evil, right from wrong, true from false, but don't condemn others in the evil of their error. Humbly speak what is true and right and just and generously pray for them to respond to the hope of the Gospel. The Gospel, the good news, is that there is hope for the vilest offender who truly believes that moment a pardon from Jesus receives, as the old hymn says. Make no mistake, a speck is a speck, a sin is a sin, and all must be judged correctly and removed completely. But the generosity of the gospel is what gives us hope that that can be done. The command judge not is not a requirement to be blind or mute about sin, but it's a plea to be humble of spirit and generous with the gospel as we address that. So church, judge rightly. Speak truly and humbly and hold forth the generous gospel because that is our only hope for every plank, for every speck, for every sin. 
the only hope we have is the gospel. Now, as we noted earlier, when Jesus continues in his teaching, he actually makes the judgment in verse 6, one that sounds shocking and unusual to us. In verse 6, Jesus says that some are like mongrel dogs or unclean pigs. Now, now, while Jesus teaches us not to hypocritically and unfairly judge, Jesus seems to be at the same time telling us, don't ignore the reality that's in front of you. Don't pretend all are the same. Church, we are called to humbly speak the truth because only the truth can remove the speck of sin from someone's life. Not everyone, though, is going to be grateful for that kind of correction. Friends, not everyone wants to hear or can handle the truth. No matter how humble the presentation, no matter how generous the gospel offer, not everyone is going to receive and respond to it. You know, just this week I was reading in Proverbs, and in Proverbs 29.9 it says, If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. Don't waste your time with the one who's only raging and laughing, who's, who's not going to take it seriously. Don't cast your pearls before the one who has no intention to listen, no willingness to consider, no desire to change. Friends, some people are only looking for an argument. They're not looking for answers. Some have already made up their minds. And they're only looking for an argument. And Jesus says, don't waste your time on those who only wish to play games and to treat the gospel with disdain. Friends, that's not because the gospel message can't reach them. It's because the gospel message is too urgent to waste time. If persons have defiantly and deliberately and repeatedly rejected and hardened themselves against the gospel, judge rightly what's happening in front of you. Don't invite further rejection and contempt and entrust those people to the Lord in prayer. Don't, and go cast your gospel pearls elsewhere where there are others who might be more receptive to receive them. Because the gospel message is too important and too urgent. So go forth. Go forth with the hope that is the gospel. And in verse 7, then there's another strange shift that seems to come upon us suddenly because he's talking about not judging. And then all of a sudden there's a call to prayer. Now, church, this does make sense looking at the context because not judging, knowing when and where to cast our pearls and being helpful without being hypocritical. Let's be honest. Those things are impossible. They're impossible for me to do. They're impossible for you to do on our own. We need divine grace to accomplish any of these things. So we find the invitation to approach the Heavenly Father, asking, seeking, and knocking. Do you notice there's kind of an intensification here? You ask when somebody's near you. You seek when someone's far from you. And you knock when someone's inaccessible to you to make them accessible. And all three of the verbs are imperatives. They're indicating increasing persistence and urgency. Church, we are to persistently and urgently pursue God. And Jesus gives us another one of his famous lesser to greater arguments. He goes, if you as parents who are evil, who are sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children when they ask, how much more will the perfect heavenly father give good gifts to his children when they ask? So ask, seek, and knock, trusting 
in the Father's response. But this passage creates a bit of a problem because what happens when God doesn't seem to answer? It says, ask and you'll receive and seek and you'll find and knock and the door is going to be open. But what happens when I've been pounding on heaven's door and it seems like there's no one home? Friends, this passage isn't meant to plumb all the mysteries and address everything that might ever be said about prayer. But we could ask, in light of this passage, why does not God give us everything for which we ask Him in prayer? Because it says, seek, receive, seek and find, ask and receive, knock, and it shall be open. In church, we might simply summarize that the response is this. The Father is good. And the Father gives good gifts. But more than that, the Father is wise. So He knows which are truly good gifts. And which gifts that we might think are good are truly not good gifts. Friends, we think we know what is good and needful and right. We think we understand, but God alone is perfectly good and perfectly wise. Will you trust His answers? Will you trust that the gifts He gives are good? Will you trust that when He withholds gifts, He does so because He is good? Will you trust that God is not stingy in his gifts, as it says, that he is not stingy in his answers, that he is not stingy in his response, even when the answer is no or not yet. God is a good father, and this passage is not meant to answer all of our questions about prayer, but it is a call to persistent and urgent prayer. It's a call for us to bring our needs to our father because we are powerless in and of ourselves. We need to trust the goodness of His gifts, that the goodness of His answers are exactly what we need. As we so often sing here on a Sunday morning, the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. And these things, not judging, where should I, how should I be helpful without being hypocritical, all these things, friends, we can't do them without divine grace. The strength to follow these commands could never come from me. So we must ask, seek, and knock, for God gives generously, that we might obey fully. And finally, we come to the so-called golden rule in verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, the first word is so, or therefore. It's a connecting word, which means that what's come before, this is the response. This is the consequence of what's come before. So, church, rather than hypocritically and ungenerously judging others, treat others as you wish to be treated. And while this golden rule has been articulated by many different teachers and is found in many different religions throughout time and across the world, it's notable that usually when we find this teaching is stated in the negative. For example, Rabbi Hillel famously taught, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest is only commentary. That's a negative expression. What's hateful to you, don't do it to others. But Jesus gives us a positive expression. Whatever you want done to you, do to others. I mean, the negative expression is kind of a grudging minimum, do no harm, whereas Jesus says it's a proactive love. It's a greater expression of love. 
He says, with the same self-love, with the same self-advantage that guides your own choices and your own affairs, it let that be employed to how you interact with others. Positively and proactively love your neighbor as you love yourself, for that is the fulfillment of the law and prophets. And church, to live like this, to live like this would be not to live in hypocritical judgment of others but in humble, generous love towards them. Again, Pastor John Stott, we wish for the other person what we would wish for ourselves. If so, we would never be mean, always generous, never harsh, always understanding, never cruel, always kind. Church, Jesus' words here call us from the bare minimum Christianity that we are too often tempted to live. We are too often tempted to say, what is the least What is the minimum that I must do to remain obedient? Samuel, you can take that down off the screen. Thank you. We want to be generous in our love. However, friends, we know we're powerless to do that on our own. We simply do not love so unselfishly and so generously. And so what does all of this section of teaching do? Friends, all this section of teaching pushes us back to the gospel, to our need. Because let's be honest, we have failed time and time again to fulfill the law of love. We have sat in hypocritical judgment over our neighbor rather than humbly loving them. We all need to be forgiven for our violation of the law and the prophets and failing to love. We need the power now to obey and to love. We need a strength that's not our own, that we can truly learn what it means to love neighbor as self. And friends, all of this is found in only one place. In the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of what he's done. And if you're visiting with us and you want to know more about the gospel, there will be people up front at the end of the service today who would love to talk to you and to pray with you. And as we've already said, this Sermon on the Mount, what it does so often is not tell us what we must do. So often the Sermon on the Mount shows us what we can't do. And that drives us to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has done what we cannot do. And now He gives us His Spirit that we might become what He is. So ask, seek, and knock. Receive the goodness of the Father's answer because His most perfect and good answer is found in Jesus Christ and His Gospel. Church, don't back away. Seek. Seek. And don't back away from the need to speak and to judge rightly, wrong from right, good from evil, sin from righteousness. Every speck of sin must be discerned and dealt with. But let us do it as Christ has called us to do it, with a humble and a generous love, with a power and a love that comes not from us, but from Christ in us. So ask, seek, and knock. Receive that gospel power. Then church, go forth, judge rightly, speak truly, love humbly and generously in His name. And I hope that you judge that that is a good and a right response to what Jesus calls us to here. Let's pray. Father, help us in our weakness. Help us because we have not lived up to what Christ teaches here. And on our own, we cannot and will not live up to what Christ has taught us. So, Spirit, come make us humble. We sang that in prayer earlier. Now make that a reality in our lives.
Help us to ask, to seek, and to knock, and to receive what we need, which is Jesus Christ. For only in His power might we be transformed. Only by His power might we be humbled. Only by His power might we love others as we love ourselves. So Christ, come. Have Your way with us. And glorify Yourself in and through us we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.